Foxes and hedgehogs talking it out. Foxes and hedgehogs I want to do, right? Yes. So, so uh, yeah, I, I guess. So let's let's start with you. Okay. We're with Colette McClafferty on Foxes and right Hedgehogs. On. Hello. Your hosts Foxes. Thomas Hutchings and Jonathan Aaron's <coughs> rocking and rolling with the waves out there in the ocean. Jonathan Aaron's is on a cruise ship calling in. Trying to save some money. <laughs> <laughs> we have Colette here in the studio, and we're just talking about the crazy experiences that she's having. John's going to have announcements in the background because uh, when you're on a ship, they're always telling you what's going on and where to go and what to do. They're, 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 they're getting passengers off the ship now. You arrived late. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so they're, I think they're, they're exiting the ship according to color on their luggage. Oh, that's what's happening right now. All right. Don't mi- that's fancy. Don't mind them. Exciting. All right, so anyway. Yes. So, so, so how, I guess the first question is, uh-huh. how long have you been singing? Um, I started singing when I was around 11 or 12, and I started singing professionally when I was 16. Yeah, I, I, I cut my teeth um, in the theater scene in Chicago, and... Instead of going to college and all that, I just went straight to, you know, musical theater cool. and touring. and Very cool. And so I've been a professional singer for over 25 years. Wow. Yeah. Why not? I actually met Colette on the music scene at something called, I think, Rock and Roll Big Top. Did Rock you ever remember, do you remember that? Big it used Top. to be at this place called, uh, it was on 30th Street by where Ultrasound is. It was in this club there. It's called yes. something else now. I forget what the club's called now, but were there like dancers and like there would it was be like all kinds dancers, of crazy stuff? There would be magicians. There would be like comedians. Yeah, I think Edible Red performed. Like uh, that's where I met <laughs> wow. Andy Hines. You know the the guitarist. Yeah, he goes by Andy Black Sugar now. Um, who else did I meet there? Uh, Glenn Schloss got me into it. This okay. whole group, of Captain Danger, was a part of that. And it's funny. That's but- a great name. Because when you've been in the New York scene for so long, you kind of forget where your origins of knowing somebody came from. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. That's totally. crazy. It, it, it's like uh, you, you travel in these like revolving door musical situations where people, there's always one person you know somewhere doing something yeah. eventually. And know? they're also random. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you know what? I, I, I can remember where I meet everybody, but that's just me. That's my, mem- my memory's yeah. kind of crazy like that. Well, I remember like, distinctly how I met John. It was at a, as a birthday karaoke party, and John yeah. and I sang some Earth, Wind, and Fire together. Nice. <laughs> Is Earth, Wind, and Fire? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. I had known wow, you before, but we never like really hung, you know. It was right, funny because exactly. like, you, you were just part of my like extended yeah. musical, yeah. and I'm like, oh yeah, I've known that guy forever. Last but- time I saw you was at Parkside. Oh my god! And we were talking about juicers. <laughs> so I was like, loud. I need to get some juices. Oh yeah! And you were like, oh yeah, get this juicer. It's the best one. Yep, I that I remember. <laughs> what what is, what is the best juicer to get? <laughs> uh, I have a Jack Lane. I like it very much. <laughs> Really? I don't know if it's the best, but it's that, affordable. That sounds so old school, Jack Lane juicer. I'm an old school kind of girl. There you have but, it. But you know, classics are classics for a reason, right? Absolutely. <laughs> and I mean, like, have you seen Jack Lane? He looks fantastic. Oh, he's still alive? 
Is he still alive? I don't know. Well, He's last time I saw him on the <laughs> internet, he looked he great. Looked, he looked, he looked <laughs> amazing. We have call. a testament that he, if he is alive, he must look incredible. He, he probably look looks amazing. incredible even if he's not. <laughs> <laughs> I like how we're not fact-checking it. For- yeah, no, we're not, we're not going <laughs> to fact-check this. We're not even going to bother. We'll just put a disclaimer on. Yes. But I promise everything else I say is true. Nice. Yes. The opinions in our show are uh, strictly the opinions of the people that are on the show. Yes. And And are not not representative representative of of the show or the people that run the show, a.k.a. Tommy T. Time and Johnny J. John. Right. Just our characters. (laughs) Yes. The fox and the hedgehog. Yes. Yeah. That's why um, that's why we're here to talk about to talk about ideas and people that are in music that are that are affected by the music industry. Absolutely, positively or Colette, negatively. Yes. Wh- what attracted you to singing the music of Pink? Oh well, um, that's a great question. I saw the ad on Craigslist, uh, and it looked like a great job. It was supposed to be, um, you know, big tours. We were going to do casinos, big theaters. It was um, presented as a high dollar band. It was very good. Like a pay. cover, like a like a typical like, I think of like a Jersey cover band where you like there's someone booking you constantly, like every weekend you're playing somewhere in some some That's, bar well, or, how, or, or event. How it was presented to me was that it wasn't a bar band. Oh. It, it was going to be like really big venues. Um, and honestly, I, I had been in Edible Red for 10 years, and I'd gotten really tired of the music industry and being an original artist and all the, you know, blows you have to take over sure. and over again. And I, I was like, well. um, I was very inspired by the band Rubik's Cube, who I worked for very briefly at, um, they had really created this great business for themselves. So I wanted to work in a tribute band. I thought it would be a great gig. Um... So I was actually just flat out offered the gig. I didn't even oh, have that's to. Great. I didn't even right. have to audition, and um, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is great!" Because the guy had auditioned for Edible Red seven years prior, oh. which I didn't know. I hadn't seen him since then. Wow. Um, the same guy that sued you? No. Oh, okay. okay, so there's two. Well, the guy that hired you is a different person. Yeah. There's okay. There's two people we got to talk about. Tell us about the band dynamics. Let's get into this. Yeah. <laughs> so um, there's Rick Navone, and you know I'm using full names here, and I think that's okay. He Heavy was. Stuff, <laughs> Heavy stuff. He was the bass player and band leader of the Pink Cover Band, um, and then there was Charles Bonfante, who was a personal injury Very attorney. Very rock and roll name. Yeah, and you know what? He actually, that's the guy that sued me. Oh, okay. But you know what? He has a pretty rock and roll backstory. Oh. He was the drummer for Michael Bolton during Michael Bolton's metal phase. The Michael Bolton. Like, everybody's crazy. We, um, we, we both know Kiku, who plays with him. Yeah, we know the oh, yeah? player, Michael Bolton's drummer. For, for a new a school. Foreign world. New, new school Michael Bolton. Mm-hmm. So, do you guys know old school Michael Bolton? No. Okay, you gotta. No. We might have to save a whole maybe other we'll podcast. Do, maybe you'll have to come back and we'll talk about old school yeah. Michael Bolton. Old school Michael Bolton be great. is amazing, <laughs> amazing. Um, so I'm down. they formed this pink cover band together, and allegedly it was Charles Bonfante's idea. 
Um, Rick basically offered me the gig and he's like, this is amazing. I showed your videos to Chuck right away. And, um, Chuck used to play in a band called Soraya that was kind of big late eighties, early nineties. And I liked Soraya. So I was like, oh man, I'm excited about this. Two weeks later, I get a phone call from Rick. Um, you know what? Chuck wants to keep looking for a new singer. Um, you know, he had some success in the industry. He's really tough to please. You know, he said you could come audition, and at this point, I'm kind of getting turned off, you know. And uh, he's like, I'll send you the four songs. Because they, they made it sound like a done deal? Oh, yeah. First. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. The bait and switch. It was a bait and switch, which I, I don't have time for. <laughs> so, like, Who it, has time for that? No. It, and it happens it's all offensive. the time. It's offensive. Um, you know, working as long as I have. No, I'm not doing that. So, sure. But I was polite, and I said, okay, send me the songs. And then I was going to be, quote, too busy to audition. <laughs> oh. Um, but the songs never came and I knew they weren't going to, uh, and then a few months later I got another message from Rick saying, you know, me and Chuck went our separate ways. I want to start a new band. Let's do some pink songs, some classic rocks and edible red songs. Mm. I said, no. (laughs) (laughs) And then he reached out again and he said, I'm auditioning new drummers for the pink band tomorrow. Can you come fill in on lead vocals? You know, he's like, I need a singer for this audition. And he said the three magic words that will make any musician go from Brooklyn to Long Island on a Tuesday night. Do we know what those three words are? Cash? I'll pay you. (laughs) Oh, I'll pay you. Right, right, right. I was going to go a step further and say cash. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, um. No, cash, not check. Cash, not check. Absolutely. So, um, and yeah, it was, it was cash IRS if you're listening. (laughs) Um, so I felt that there was no harm in that, you know, just showing up as a fill-in singer. So I showed up and he kept asking me to come back week after week. And every week I showed up and I got paid and I really enjoyed the job. I really enjoyed the band. Um, yeah. And then I started to learn about the bad blood between Rick and Chuck. And one day I wow. see on my Facebook they feed. They didn't like each other. Yeah. So they had a really bad falling out. Um, I see on my Facebook feed a, a Facebook message from Rick tagging Chuck saying, Chuck Bonfante, like I'm paraphrasing here, but it was like, Chuck Bonfante is a loser. What he did to me was tragic. Jeez. And like my pink cover band so great. And, and I'm like, oh, damn, I need to get out of this band. But I was afraid that if Writing I Writing was on the wall. Oh, yeah. I was I was afraid that if I were to just quit, that I, too, would get trashed on Facebook. Oh, no. So I I did this, like, gradual... Because you, tr- you were trying to avoid that drama, right? That, I was trying to deal. avoid the drama. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I kept showing up, and I kept saying, Rick, you know, I'm getting really busy. I was like, I could get called to go on tour at any time and not be available for you. You should really start looking into understudies and possible future replacements. <clears throat> and he says you're the only singer I can imagine doing this. And I'm like, oh, no, this is bad. (laughs) And I have this feeling. I can't believe he said that you're the only singer I can imagine doing this. And Um, then how it it turned out. Yeah. uh, Unbelievable. So so Rick had actually auditioned for Edible Red seven years prior, and he was kind of a fan of the band, so he was really excited about getting me on board. Um, But once I knew that there was this dynamic, I was like, I got to go. And so... I agreed to do one show. It was at Napper Tandy's in Long Island, and we were opening up for the big show. 
at the very last rehearsal, there was an understudy, potential understudy slash replacement who looked exactly like Pink. We had had no idea if she could even sing. But I'm just like, and I didn't even think about at the time that, oh, I'd be passing this drama off to a new person. (laughs) Oh, man. Please tell me you have photos of the exactly like Pink understudy. Um, we can. I don't. Oh, but okay. I, but well, I mean, just yeah. imagine like a, a caricature of Pink, I guess. Yeah. Um. Looked exactly, and I'm just like, please be able to sing. Please be able to sing. So, um, and then I I had a couple cease and desist letters sent to my house, like saying like uh, that I could potentially go to jail for ten years or like get my bank account seized. A like, cease and desist, though. So, so you got a letter that like maybe said so, like that you couldn't. Or, or letters that said yeah. that you couldn't portray pink. So the first one was for a band name called Reservoir Dogs. Okay. Um, so that came from Chuck's office. And since Chuck is a lawyer, he can right. just do this right. freely. Um, so what Rick did was he changed the name immediately. He changed it to Funhouse. So bam, we're done. Right. You know? He, like, uh, Chuck, and I knew my rights as a performer, even though I didn't know the legal system very well. I knew that no random person can tell me, you cannot do this show, you cannot sing this music, you sure. cannot derive income from this music. Right. Um, when they have nothing to do with the copyright. Right. Right. So even though I right. wanted it out of the band, I was still going to do that one show. And I was doing that one show as a courtesy to the band because I didn't want to see the band fall apart. I wanted them to be able to usher in their new singer right. and go on. So at the very last rehearsal, that's when I got sued for $10 million. Oh, jeez. Ten, $10 million? million, man. Yeah, the process server $10 walked million. in. $10 We're rehearsing, and rehearsal's going so smooth. And I actually joke, I'm like, this is going a little too smooth. Like, Because, you know, you're supposed to have a bad last rehearsal to have sure. a great show. Oh. And I'm like, I'm worried right. about how smooth this is going. All of a sudden, a process server walks in with like three stacks of paper and I'm dying laughing. I think it's like, he gives one to Rick. I'm like, Oh my God, you got sued. This is great. You know? And then he gives one (laughs) to John and then the process server gives one to me. And I'm like, I've never even met this guy. (laughs) And that is, I don't even know how to respond to that. Yeah. So at first we were laughing and then we kept rehearsing first. And then I kept just messing up all over the place because I couldn't concentrate. Sure. And then I started to read the lawsuit on the way home. It was 112 pages long. And so I'm just scanning for the parts. Yeah. I'm scanning for the parts with my name. And it says that, like, I intended to steal the pink cover band from him. Oh. Like, there's all these accusations. I'm um, I'm being accused of conspiracy for fraud. Um, and yeah, he said that I conspired with Rick and John while he was getting shoulder surgery. Hmm. And so now he, he did say the unattractive part, but that was really just like, he said that John looked like a plumber. He called Rick. Oh, he said something about everyone. Yeah. He's, he called Rick. This is in the lawsuit? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I suggest, and here's the thing, the lawsuit. If you can detach from, like, the messed up nature of it, it's kind of funny. It's kind of like, okay, you know when someone tries to write a horror movie and it ends up being a comedy? Yeah. The lawsuit is... 
Oh, red, huh? I took the lawsuit to a bar, and the bartender read the entire 112 pages. <laughs> and the whole bar stopped. Wow. And, like, nobody talked the entire night until it was over. And there were so many funny moments because um, here's the thing. Chuck really, with all his heart, wanted to do this pink cover band. But Rick, you know, allegedly screwed him over by breaking off with him and then starting this new pink wow. cover band when it was Chuck's idea. Allegedly. Um, there's more. <laughs> so here's why they broke up. Okay. Rick um, got investigated for elder fraud by Chase Bank um, because $15,000 was missing from his elderly aunt's account. Whoa. And Chuck had done the paperwork as a favor. Ah. And what Chuck had told me two years later when I met him for the first time was that Rick actually put his entire practice at risk. Put Chuck's practice at risk. Yes. And this is all in the lawsuit. And this is what the lawsuit is about. Oh, okay. The New York Post had this information. The New York Post. What um, what year did all this start? I'm sorry. What year did this all start? 2014. Okay. Yeah. Um. And the New York Post also extensively interviewed Rick about this aspect of the case. It all centered all right. on the two of them. Interesting. It, it, it mostly it came out about being centered around you, but you were really yeah. just in the middle of it. Oh, yeah. I'd never even met the guy. Um, basically. Did, did, did it ever go to trial? It did not go to trial. Um Honestly, I would have loved to have gone to trial. We're almost I, there, John. We just, we just, <laughs> she just got served the papers. Yeah. She just got served the papers. Right. Yeah. Honestly. The suspense is killing you. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. <laughs> I, I would have loved to have taken this to trial just because it, it's such a open and shut case as far as my involvement is concerned. Um, right. And it would have been... Like, I would have killed to be on that jury. Like, that would have been the best. Like, this would have been a case where, like, everybody would want to be on the jury. I would have lied. I would have been like, (laughs) I I would have shown up for jury duty. Like, I have no idea who any of these people are. Absolutely. I don't even know. Who is Pink? Yes. What is that? Music? (laughs) Yeah. It it would have been incredible. I, I I think it's so... Interesting that these two guys are so passionate about They me. are. <laughs> I <laughs> know. Love Pink so much. I mean, and you, you I know mean, what? I'm sure Pink wouldn't touch this with like a 10 foot pole. Oh, Pink yeah, we're, we're, refuses we're, to acknowledge this. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. And she's a big oh, woman yeah, yeah. empowerment. Had she heard about Angus? No. So here's the thing um, the New York Post reached out to Any her. Any tweets? Her <laughs> P- no, so nobody associated with Pink will even acknowledge that any of this has happened. So we're talking, um, and this isn't even just about Pink, it's about her entire team and how they all collaborated in silence, like while my whole life is falling apart and I'm being abused publicly by both the media and the legal system. um, We reached out to her PR team. They said no comment. I had friends that reached out to RCA Records. Um, I know some people tried to reach out to her management company, I had someone that was actually in a band with her bass player, uh, Eva Gardner, sent the media articles to her. She never said anything. 
I personally reached out to many of Pink's bandmates on Twitter and just saying, hey, this is going on. If you guys could share this, if you guys could do something. Um, honestly, I actually thought they would want to help me sure. naively because uh, I, I went online. I'm like, okay, I got to get a feel for what kind of person Pink is. And so I found her uh, doing some award show speech. And she said, I am paraphrasing here, but she said something to the effect that I promised myself, no matter what, that I would always stand up for the underdog. Oh, snap. And so uh. I, I see this and I'm like, oh, this she's going to help me get out. Because I'm at the point where I find out I could be in litigation for years, possibly um, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, $70,000 in legal fees. Uh, which is why I had to go to the New York Post. Um, yeah, they said nothing. Amazing. And honestly, that's kind of part of the whole story well, you, you that bothers said, me you, the most. You went to the Post, you said? or I post? had to. So I had to go to the New York Post because um, we were at the point I had missed a filing deadline. I didn't have a lawyer yet. And I was yeah. in the middle of a real estate deal that could have brought me a ton of money. Um, I had no money for a lawyer. I would call them up. I was so confused. Like, you know, they're like two to $400 an hour. Oh, yeah. And my real estate lawyer is like, oh, let me take a look at this, right? He didn't realize I'd already missed a filing deadline, and I didn't realize it either. Oh. Because um, I was so confused. I didn't know how to even communicate yeah. the information. Sure. And once it turned out that I missed the filing deadline, he said, okay, I have some bad news for you. Oh, <laughs> um, man. You could be in, you know. I have some bad news for you. Not something you want to hear from any 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 legal person anywhere. Yeah, no, right. And that's why it's important. If anyone ever gets sued, make sure you show up to that court date right away and say, "I need time." I mean, and he also sued me two hours away from my house. So there's that. Wow. Um, that's when he told me I could be in the legal system for at least a couple of years. Um, I was living in construction, also. And my landlord was going to give me money to move, but I couldn't take the money from the landlord because my lawyer said, well, if you're in litigation, if you lose this case, you now gave up your home, which you no longer have. And now you no longer have this money that he's giving you to move. So it was a very complicated situation. Wow. And that's when I said, I said, Martin, should I go to the press? He's like, oh, yeah, go. Go to the, go to the press. Because we Off knew. to the presses. Yeah, we knew that once this got in the media that Chuck would yeah. want to drop it. Yeah. And that's exactly yeah. what happened. Chuck wanted to drop it. Um, however, at this point, my reputation had just been completely destroyed. And so he wanted to drop it. He wanted me to sign a non-disclosure, mm -hmm. uh, you know, saying I'll never speak about it again. And Fuck I, that. And I said, well, how much is he that's offering I me? I said, how much is he offering me? Nothing. He's offering to drop the case. And then I said, okay, well, you know, my legal fees were up to about $3,200 at that time. I said, he's going to uh, pay that. He'll pay that first. And then he should give me an offer on top of it. And then I'll see what I can do. Right. Um, and his counter offer was to pay for half of my legal fees. Uh, so I'm like, wait, this he's, man doesn't co this doesn't cost him anything, but his time, his time. And maybe, you know, I don't know what the filing fees are, Whatever maybe the a filing couple fees hundred are. It's dollars. Not, it's not thousands of dollars. He had, because he's a lawyer, he has the resources sure. himself to keep this going indefinitely. 
well, frivolous yeah. lawsuits. Yeah. Does he though? I mean, lawyers. I, I mean, it takes more than just being a lawyer. You have to have a lot of money. He's loaded. I can see that. But, uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I, I mean, he has more money than you. I, I think oh, that, a lot more money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And it's funny, he even in the lawsuit, he described me as, um, and again, I'm paraphrasing, a struggling, broke singer who tried unsuccessfully. Wait, did you say woke or broke? Broke. <laughs> broke. Like, so this man knows <laughs> nothing about me. Woke would be a compliment. <laughs> but it, or, ma- or maybe he thinks woke isn't a compliment. No, he, he like, said broke. Like, so the man has never met me. He knows nothing about me. And he described Amazing. me as a struggling broke singer who tried unsuccessfully for years to get a record deal with my band Edible Red. Edible Red. I saw Edible Red on Cash Cab yeah. like years ago. And I knew the guy from Cash Cab, Ben. Oh, Ben, he's we used amazing. to hang out at this bar called Terra Blues all the time because he was Terra performing Blues. it. He was performing at the Comedy Cellar all the time. I used to play around the corner. At this place called the Bagot Inn. I remember the Bagot Inn. I met him very and well. I met <laughs> him. Still there. him no, and it's him. a new place. Judah Friedlander was the other comedian. Oh, there. damn. Yeah. yeah. So we used I've, to all hang out. Oh, my God. It used to be so I've much fun. I met Judah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Funny guys. Really funny um, guys. But what's funny is that my band had a record deal. Edible we were signed. We were signed to Select Records. They're under Warner Brothers, ADA. We were on MTV for like five minutes, you know, and then it yeah. just yeah. kind of like, imploded but the thing is that it happened and if chuck had even researched me for 10 minutes this stuff would have came up yeah it was like a successful you know maybe i don't know if i it it was beyond it was more than marginal it was like yeah i mean if you had the means would you counter sue for defamation so you cannot you cannot counter sue for defamation in a lawsuit because lawsuits are. Per- this is what I've learned. I've learned a lot about the legal system. People are allowed to say whatever they want about you in a lawsuit. It's. Um, I believe the term is absolute privilege, and lying about people in lawsuits is something that is very common. Something that people do a lot. Um, I did counter sue for. Malicious litigation, abusive process, and intentional infliction of emotional distress. Yeah. She woke up, she woke up like that one day. She was just like, (laughs) these are all the things that I have. This is how this has affected me. She didn't talk to a lawyer at that point. She didn't talk to a lawyer at that point. No, no. She just woke up and she was like, yeah, all that. That's what I'm feeling. It was my, I had two (laughs) different. What's that? They all sound like real things. Oh, yeah. Happened. Um, and. those happen to you. Those yeah, big words happen to you. Yeah, give I'm, us some meat around some of those, some of those things. I mean, if it's okay, is, say that again. Give us the 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 like you were distressed. Obviously, oh distressed yeah. And the, uh, what was the, what are the other two things? Uh, malicious litigation. Oh yeah, yeah he did that. That was he obvious. Was mean. That he, was obvious. He believed, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. He's a meanie. Doing yeah, like that. yeah. Um, and the meanies thing- are malicious. <sighs> For all you people out there who don't know what malicious means. When I met him for the evil. first... evil. Yeah. Evil I, mean, an evil meanie. Here's the thing. Believe it or not, when I That's met him, talk. I was expecting him to be this evil monster, and he wasn't. Oh, he, wasn't. he wasn't. No, not at all. He, like, for... 
once he saw me in person, he knew how badly he messed up. Because even towards the very end, so the lawsuit after two years got dropped. Two years. Two years. Well, you know, since I was going up against a lawyer, he knew every tactic to drag it out and make it expensive. (laughs) My legal fees got up to about $15,000, and that was with discounted services. I had to give up my apartment in Manhattan so I could pay my lawyers. Um, and wow, that sucks. Yeah, and so the courts dismissed it two years, even and even the Supreme Court. Oh, it got of, dismissed. It wasn't even. Uh, no, yeah, it so wasn't even settled. Oh, so he, they had um, the Supreme Court of Riverhead dismissed the case after two years, and they we set up a um, hearing that was going to discuss Charles Bonfante's conduct as a lawyer. Oh, and even up to the very end. Chuck said to my lawyer, you know, Colette's feet are going to be in the fire. Like, he's thinking that this hearing is going to be talking about me and how I tried to steal the pink cover band from him. And my lawyer was like, you don't understand. This is about you. It's not like Colette has won. <laughs> you know, I, I oh, won. Yeah, clearly. Clearly you won. I, I won the case. Um, yeah. You know, since everything against awesome. me was dismissed. Congratulations. And Even, how long ago was this? Oh, when I think it was in 2016 okay. in October. Yeah, that was that was when you when you won the case. But when, yeah. when did the when did you that day that you were in rehearsal was that was that oh this, uh, where I got sued? Yeah, that was in 2014. Okay. okay, so it took two years. Okay, and even the Supreme Court of Riverhead failed to meet their own deadlines. Mm-hmm. There's a certain amount of time that they're supposed to settle things up and the Supreme Court of River had let it drag on too. You know, so you got to wonder what, is it just because they're clogged up? Is it, is there corruption? Like we don't know why are they Mm -hmm. hoping that maybe I'm just going to give up because it's too expensive to fight. But I kept fighting. I was like, I have to fight this thing no matter what. Um, did you have like, uh, like financially, did you do like, uh, Go fund me or anything? Or? I did for the first round of legal fees. Um, actually, the people from Indiegogo reached out to me. Really? Yeah. Wow. And they were like, "We want to help you um, fight this." So I did the first uh, thirty-two hundred dollars on Indiegogo, hmm. and then the wow. rest I paid myself. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. And it totaled over fifteen thousand dollars with discounts. Fifty five zero one five. One five, right? One five. Yeah. When you won, did yeah. you get any money for that? When you won? No, you so, get money for so here's the thing. His. We have to settle. Um at at the hearing we were talking numbers. Um and here's the thing, my my lawyer was like, you know, I'll fight this with you as long because the countersuits actually didn't cost me money. It was only fighting his lawsuit. The countersuits wow. um, the lawyers did on contingency. Wow. So, um, Crazy. My lawyer expressed some concerns. He's like, I'll stay with you to the end. But he's like, one, litigation is making you crazy. And you need yeah. to get back to your saying career. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which you have. Yes. And uh, two, um, you know, we knew that since we were going up against a lawyer, he had every resource. It, it would have taken years to get yeah. this money. Amazing. 
and to keep going, it could have kept the psychological torture going. And yeah, true. So that's, I, that's, that was yeah. smart. That was really smart. I decided to settle for my legal fees and a public apology from Chuck. Hmm. And Chuck, he did pay the legal fees back. He never. Oh, he did. Okay. He, good. Yes. He the never. Grand. Yeah. Well, I think it was like twelve thousand five hundred. Um, Still. Because wow. you know, I did some. I raised some money on the Indiegogo. Yeah. Oh, okay. So what you didn't have to, what you didn't have to pay, he didn't have to cover. Yeah. Okay. And Still, that's a lot of dough. Right? And so I had lunch with him after yeah. meeting him. For you the had first lunch time. with him. Yeah. Wow. Um, and he, he apologized in person. And I was like, you know, this is great, but I really need your public apology. When can I we? I think we should talk that? about what you ate. I had lunch. a chicken salad. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know if I would be able to eat anything but soup and something like that. I'd be like, I'll have whatever soup. You I actually have. had a glass of wine. Any solid food. Like, yeah, I would definitely require some wine or the some second, kind of booze. The second I sat down with Rose my Jane. lawyer, I, I had red wine. <laughs> something pink, oh, preferably. Man. Yeah. No. <laughs> I'm boycotting <laughs> Yeah. Have you sung a Pink song since? Um. Well, you know, I did cover the song Perfect only because I felt that the actual song really spoke to what I had been through with the media, you know, referring to me as a bad, ugly singer and falsely saying that I got sued for being old and off-key. Um, so I have sang that song, um, but no, I'm not out there working in any pink cover bands or anything like that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of stopped listening to her music for a while. Just yeah. Because I, I, the trauma. I, I don't, don't blame you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm sure it has nothing to do with her and everything to do with her team. Cause people realize that like, when we see a pop star, we're not seeing one person. We're seeing the collaboration of record oh, yeah. labels, publicists, stylists, managers. Sure. Um, so I'm guessing she probably has no say in whether or not she can talk about it. Mm-hmm. Guessing, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, there's probably some of that. I'm sure. Yeah, they're very heavily oh, controlled. Also, like you wonder if like some of them were like, well, you know, how many could this person just be loony and big deal? Yes. A cover cover band, and how many people cover her songs would want the same attention, and when would they have to? You know, would it set a precedent if they addressed you and they would have to address every other um, situation <clears throat> where Pink was, uh, you know, you know, uh, someone would have covered Pink. Like, I covered your song and you, you <laughs> gave her attention. Why don't you give me attention? You know, and you maybe, know, maybe that's, that was going through their head as well, you know. You know what's funny is that Pink actually usually does comment on people that cover her songs. Like, she has a whole segment. Oh, yeah. I've where seen it on, uh, she goes on YouTube. Facebook and YouTube. Yeah, mm-hmm. she has like a thing where people sing oh, her wow. songs and she watches. It's oh, like yeah. Pink reacts to people performing her songs. Yeah, there's there was also another incident where someone in a Pink cover band like was on one of those TV shows. Uh, it might have been X Factor and like she wasn't portrayed the right way. And like Pink commented on that. She said, oh, no, uh-huh. she did a good job. So Pink actually usually does comment on people that cover her stuff, but they will not touch this story at all. Yeah, maybe maybe it's illegal stuff. They're I think like, it's nope. probably a legal thing. Yeah, yeah. illegal thing. That's yeah. my guess. Yeah. But it Chuck, would, Chuck has sent oh, them some letters. It would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> Is that I, the guy's name? Yeah. yeah, but here's the thing. Chuck was such a huge Pink fan. He would never, 
ever. I don't think he would ever oh, he sue her. That. He wouldn't do that. Yeah. But it would be it's nice. It's so funny. I, I, There's I a had silver a, uh, lining, though, to all this. I had a nightmare of an agent experience with a guy named Chuck. <laughs> so, oh, my God. I Chuck, <laughs> I, and Chuck is, like, such a, an, a, yeah. a great name for, like, an aggressive a, uh, booking agent. <laughs> aggra- yeah, exactly. A flawed, aggressive booking agent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Yeah. Well, there is a silver lining. She wrote a book. It's called Confessions of a Bad, Ugly Singer. Colette oh, McClaffrey. Wow. Yes. Wow. Published by... I, I it's uh, published by New Haven Publishing. New Haven Publishing published a book wow. for her. So they're in the UK. Oh, there it is, New Haven Publishing. It's funny. No American publishers would touch this book because, um, you know, we're all. I know that feeling. (laughs) (laughs) He's he's got a he's got a book. How long have you been writing your book, John? Ten years. Ten years. Almost ten years. It took Colleen. How long did it take you, Colleen? Um, well, it took me four years. I wrote five drafts. There you go. Uh, I had an agent. Everybody turned it down. We were about to part ways, and then, like, one day, he's like, I sold your book. Congratulations. And Awesome. So he's picked up. Nice. Um, There's a silver lining, folks, those yeah. of you out there. And they specialize in rock and roll nonfiction, so it's mm. really, like, the perfect wow. fit. Yeah. That sounds like your your book is right up their alley, John. Yeah, I was going to say. It. They, okay. They, yeah. They have an open submission policy, and you can, of course, you know, tell them that you know me now through the John's the podcast. dancing trombonist. Nice. Yeah. Is that, is that, you don't go by that anymore. Now, now you you just. I don't know. I don't know what I go by. I, I I'm loose. I, I'm open. <laughs> to I like it when you dress up like Darth Vader. I'm over Darth Vader. I, I'm so okay. much more than that. Oh, man, that was so funny, though. You know, and I get, you know, and actually, I was thinking about that while you're talking. It's interesting how people can know you for one experience that they mm-hmm. that they're aware of. But they yep. they they might not be aware of all these other experiences that that at least for you internally really make up who you are. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you um, know? cumulative life experiences. There's still people to this day that still think that I got sued for being old, ugly, and off key. Wow. Yeah. Sure. Like sure. even people that I know personally, like wow. even even though I've said a million times that's not what happened, for some reason people really want to hold on to this story and you know, uh, you, know, if, you, you know why, right? Why? Because everyone, everyone feels. Wait, 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 wait. What were the three adjectives you were labeled? Ugly, old, and what? Um, bad, ugly. And old. That's everybody's nightmare. Everyone wants to. Everyone. <laughs> everyone's nightmare. Everyone's, how, how, when I'm called that, how, do, how am I going to deal with that? I want yeah. To, but this, you know, that's like you, you went to the fire. You went to the. the uh, this is it, man. Oh, yeah. She went to the like summit the, of the abyss. Yeah. Yeah. The, the summit. Of the abyss, the com- yeah. Exactly. Man. the three things of she mortality went, that everyone's she afraid went of. Through a black hole and came out <laughs> the other side. That is such a great way to describe it. It really was a black hole. I'm sure it was. It was like for the first six months, I couldn't deal with, I couldn't like do things like I couldn't make a grocery list or balance a checkbook or do Uh, normal everyday things. Oh, I'm sure it was in the back of your mind. 
Because I was, it took me six months at least just to, I couldn't actually feel emotions oh, for the first six months. Oh, like an months. emotional black hole. Yeah. Oh. It, A black hole of mortality. <laughs> yeah. And it was, it was almost like for six months I was just existing. Wow. That's heavy. Yeah. Trying to understand what had just happened. Yeah. And it's funny, the, um, the title of the book comes from a very specific headline. Um, it's from finelaw.com, which is uh-huh. a legal publication that serves to educate consumers about the legal system. And there, yeah. I may not be getting this specifically right, but their headline was Pink Cover Ban Ruined by Bad Ugly Singer. Wow. $10 million lawsuit reports. Oh. Wow. So I called up the author of that article oh. and I said, that's not what happened. I was, you know, and I sent the lawsuit and I'm fully expecting because they're a legal publication. Like they they're, yeah, they're not a gossip right. column. It was under like the legally weird thing. And I'm expecting them to call me up and being like, Hey, we're so sorry that we jumped or, or, you know, they'd take it down. I actually called them up and asked them to take down their article. They wouldn't do it. I asked them to change their headline. They wouldn't do it. They did make some changes. Like they linked to the lawsuit. And then they added this quote from my lawyer from another publication that said, her looks are not the issue. And I'm like, well, if my looks are not the issue, why would you even let the rest of the story be You're up right. there in the first place? How horrible. Just, yeah. You get attention like every every other. It's, it's funny that, that, that attention is a universal currency, you know? It. You know, I had a conversation with a Fox News reporter Um even though, you know, we all know not to trust Fox News, but interestingly, they do do some good coverage on frivolous lawsuits. And what she told right. me, she said, you got to understand, Singer Suit for Being Too Old and Too Ugly is a sexy headline. Like, that's an attention-grabbing headline. People yeah, are going to be absolutely. interested in that. And, they, and obviously, like, you know, you, you dealt with your situation with such panache. Yeah, Thank so, you. <laughs> kudos to yeah, you, you seem to come through this with your, you know, with your, with your, you know, you're still mentally stable. And I like, am now. You know, you, you're like centered spiritually. I'd hope after something like this, you know, you go through this and you have to figure out how to heal from it. Well, those are the what steps the of trauma. That you did? Um, Anything that you got into that? So I learned you didn't do before. Yeah, so I learned about the four steps of trauma. Like, I tried to actually study what was going on with my brain because mm-hmm. it was awesome. Uh, I was like, okay, I can't feel anything. This isn't normal. Mm. And so I would just Google that. Like, I can't feel anything. I can't feel emotions. Um, wow. And then, uh, so that's usually the first step of processing trauma is that you just, you kind of blank out. Because if you were feeling the things while it was happening, that could result in suicide. Like, it, like this. Sure. if this had happened to somebody else or if this had happened to me at an earlier time in my life when I was less strong and experienced, this could have ended in suicide. And that is something sure. that, that the actual journalists that wrote this fake story about me, I want them to hear this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just speaking frankly, I did have suicidal thoughts. There was one point I was like, should I just kill myself? Because sure. my whole career was taken away from me. Um, like wow. I had about a 90% drop in bookings. Um, you know, I was working full time before this happened. Uh, wow. So I, I, I just studied psychological conditions. The second step was to tell the story 
as much as you can until you process it. So tell, tell the stories. Yeah. That was, just keep talking. That makes sense. Keep telling it. Um, and it was funny because I would go to these bars. Like I, I'm going to keep it real. Like I, I drank to get through it, you know, who sure. <laughs> wouldn't I drank to get through it. And I would go to these bars in the daytime. I would look for a bartender who was bored, who had no customers. And I would just tell them the story because you could tell the story to anybody once and they're going to be captivated. Right. Oh yeah. Right. It's, totally, uh, it's, totally. it's really an interesting story. So I would yeah. rotate my bars every day and I would make sure not to go to the same bar too many times because I don't sure. want to overload them with it. <laughs> right. Or be that weird person who keeps telling about the same story. Yes. And a lo- <laughs> it's compelling though. Like, you, you know, it's a story like mm-hmm. because, because anyone that's an artist or anyone that's a musician that plays in bands where yeah. you play cover music, yeah. you know, anyone can do this to you. That's a lawyer. And that's part of why I fought so hard. Because I I was like, if I were to shrink away, at one point he wanted me to sign something saying I would never work in a pink cover band. I said, I'm not signing, I'm not signing that because you're not like, if you want to take me off the market for pink cover bands, pay me, you know, like what name a number. What is that worth to you? Um, so after I was telling the story all the time, the third process is when the, the emotions start coming in, they come later. Oh, so I started to feel the emotions about six m- months to the 12 month point, And they were intense. It I was. Bet. And so sometimes I would just go on Facebook and talk about how I was feeling. And um, I remember those posts. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I started the blog. I started the blog confessions of a bad, ugly singer. I, it's, it was fun. Well, it wasn't funny, but it was interesting watching your journey. from. <laughs> Can you guys believe this guy's trying to sue me? <laughs> I've had the oh, wow. most horrible, like she'd be totally deadpan. Like, you know. Yeah. Um, so I started the blog, Confessions of a Bad Ugly Singer. Um, I probably, and I probably wrote in it every day. I yeah. did exposés on the journalists who wrote about me. And I wrote about who got it right, who got it wrong. who com- Smart. Um, that so, sounds healing yeah. to me. And it sounds like a good way to... It's so interesting. Like I remember when I, I I handled my own trauma in a little a little differently. Uh-huh. <laughs> like like for me, instead of drinking, you were watching porn, <laughs> <laughs> and and, uh, and also instead of I watched some porn too to get through it. It's okay. Yeah, <laughs> I, you know, everyone, everyone has their vice, yeah. their choice, and and then um, instead of I guess looking into media and, and uh, pointing fingers at well, I guess I did a little bit of that, but I I wanted to like yeah. Simply put, I, I was trying to look at the the history of man and seeing how mm. like my experience like fit in within the whole history and and uh, sure known history and philosophy, you know, history of philosophy, history of power dynamics, yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, this whole, like, I put myself on a, um, dude, like, was, I, I called it a, uh, a vision quest, you know, just to, to find truth and just like, what, what is the, what is the universal truth mm-hmm. of this experience? And it took a long time because it put me, I, I, it, it, I, I remember I had, I, I was, I post on Facebook and I would say, <laughs> you know, 20,000 words written. I was like, going to write this book and I thought I was going to write it in six months and, yeah. And like like you, I mean, I think over the last ten years, I've written about like eight different drafts. Mm-hmm. 
of it. And, and uh, but each time I wrote it, it became more personal and less academic. Sure. I, I, I don't. I you know I don't know. Like there is a certain strength. Yeah, when you intellectualize something, yes. versus like taking it in emotionally. But I, I think both are are, are, are helpful when in mm-hmm. processing it. You know, absolutely. Because because there are times when to separate yourself emotionally and intellectualizing that mm-hmm. definitely does that. You know, and, I, and it's interesting how we all do it differently. We have, we all have our ways of processing intellectually. You know, and one way isn't better than the other. It's just personal you know even intellectualizing becomes personalized and we're all gonna go through trauma it was just it was your turn (laughs) you know yeah Yeah, that's true yeah part of growing up i guess um you should finish that book i think it's time to (laughs) get that this is a sign if anything yeah send send it to my publisher at new haven if you go to their website they have an open submission policy teddy dolan is really great um do, do, do you they can name the drop and say, you know, call it. What's that? They, they, they have guidelines for submission? Like, do they want the first 50 or outline? Or, they or, or do have guidelines for proposal, submission. Just like proposal. They want a proposal, obviously. Um, some you know synopsis I, and I think you, chapter summaries. You can send a proposal or a full manuscript. I, But um, if you go to the website, it's, it it's all up there. All yeah. Huh. But cool. I think it's time to get that book out there. Yeah, John, get on it, man. <laughs> well, not, not working on turning into a one-man show. That's 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 the latest. Thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's your book called, John? I forgot. Oh, now it's called Novelty Act. Novelty Act. It was Act. originally called um, Uncle Tim's Condo. <laughs> Uncle Tim's Condo. <laughs> I got uh, shot I, down I, by his. Uh... I, I, I've coined this phrase, Uncle Tim, as the stereotypical white person who's clueless when it comes to anything involving awareness or. Mm-hmm. You know, being uncomfortable around uh, situations involving, you know, multi-ethnicities, multiculturalism. Sure. Or, or any time a white person makes fun of themselves on purpose to make themselves, uh, you know, seem cool. Mm-hmm. You know, so any, any, basically any, any white person who makes fun of their own dancing is giving themselves a chance to be seriously soulful. Yeah. I, I, I call that, it's like a white version of an Uncle Tom. Uncle Tim is someone who... Doesn't get doesn't take pride in their ability to be equally soulful to any other walk of life. So, so that's that, that the idea, and the idea that this idea of privilege, kind of like uh, in our society, uh, is is kind of the excuse to not be soulful. I think anybody can be soulful. It doesn't matter what walk of life. It's just a matter about a matter of owning your own pain and sure. knowing your own experience. And when, once you're able to do that, you're actually able to empathize and uh, help other people who don't share your experience. But I, I feel like our society is so messed up with this idea of what privilege is mm-hmm. and identity. And, and we feel like we're not allowed to relate to anybody because we don't share the exact same experience. I think at the end of the day, I, I have a thesis in my book about any experience can be broken down to three main types. Mm-hmm. And if we, if we can understand our own lives in these three main ways, you can relate to anybody in any walk of life in any part of the world. That's, that's, that's the thesis I'm trying to bring to the forefront. Sure. But, you know. And I also think that sometimes to recognize your own privilege, sometimes you ha- it has to be um, – like for me, I didn't really understand white privilege until 
like 20 of my friends were talking about it. You know, like my first couple of friends, I'm like, what are you talking about? You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, they're just angry. They're just having a bad day. And like, for me personally, I had to see the examples over and over and over again. Like when they say, hey, don't get in the conversation, just listen. Um, yeah. I had to have that kind of drilled into my head many times from seeing it from many friends. And I, I didn't understand my privilege. I never thought I was privileged until, you know, people who were close to me told me, yeah, yeah, you're, you're actually privileged. <laughs> This, this, yeah. this is a subject for like a whole different whole other podcast. podcast. Yeah. We gotta have you back I, on. I, yeah, I this would, is, I'll this come is back on any time. I think at the end of the day, this whole idea about white privilege is really mainly centered around one type of privilege, and I call that material privilege. Mm. Um, that naturally, and I think white privilege is primarily material and to some degree ideological. You know, because mm. when you talk about racism, you talk about an institutional. Uh, Enforcement, right? Mm -hmm. So when you're talking about white privilege, you're really talking about uh, an institutionally enforced idea of what power is and opportunities. But sure. the thing that's missing in our, in our dialogue about privilege, I think, could be so helpful, not just to white people, but to everybody, is that there's a privilege to express. And a lot of white people don't believe they have the ability to express because mm -hmm. they are suffocated by this material and institutional privilege. So when you can redefine what your own privilege is, that's when you, I think you have a more functional dialogue about what power is in society instead of chasing our tails and like you know you know being embarrassed about not being aware of certain things. Because at, at the end of the day, we all have blind spots. Of course. And I'm a little, and, and I think I have a unique perspective because as a straight white male who has been immersed in gay and black culture since mm -hmm. I was young, I've had to constantly justify who I am and figure and question myself who I am to feel and empathize and express myself in this artistic world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and that's the thing that a lot of people don't know about. You don't understand, like, well, at the end of the day, what gives you the right to relate to anybody, especially if what that expression is rooted in an experience that's not yours mm. on paper? That, that's, that's the next conversation, I think, that needs to be brought to the <laughs> forefront. So that's... Yeah. Oh. yeah. Anyway, but that's 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 for another. Yeah. Colette had got some me. experience in um, male privilege. Yes. Male, pri you know, ma male privilege yes. is material. I, I have I have it all broken down to columns about identity. I have every aspect of identity broken down to three columns. They're material, ideological, and sensual, or what I call mm -hmm. having, feeling, believing. Any identity can be broken down to one of those three main types. Um, I'm glad you brought up the male privilege. <laughs> well, I mean, that's clearly, that you're clearly an example of a male saying, oh, let me use the privilege because I have this, I have this skill set and I can make this person's hell. Let me just do that. Well, also, you know, also male privilege in the media, um, there, and I'm so glad we got to this conversation. We've always known that the media tears down women, um, and the fact that they had, the fact that the media had this situation that was clearly between two men that involved an elder fraud investigation, Chase Bank was involved, um, it was a very heavy situation. Yeah. Nope, they say, hey, no, she got sued for being too ugly. Um, yeah. Amazing. And I, one thing that I started to understand was that every insecurity I've had about myself has been painstakingly marketed to me. 
by media Absolutely. professionals. But can you imagine oh, yeah. the meeting that they had at the New York Post going through all this stuff and saying, oh, no, let's make it about this. Let's Yeah, and sure. They also aged the photo of me. Like they, oh, really? There was a photo That's of me. Wow. Yeah. I, believe, I believe that, actually. Believe yeah. That. And so, um, like, they sent a photographer. They always work that image angle. Yeah. I mean, that's, like, part of, I mean, it's called media for a reason. Right. They, they wouldn't use any of my photos. They went to, they sent a photographer to my house with the intention wow. of taking the worst photo ever. Mm-hmm. And the photographer was very nice to me, but he wouldn't let me see any of the pictures. Yeah. Yeah, of- man, I, I, I hear that. That's, they, 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 it's all about packaging you into yes. a story that they can sell. And there was also... That, that, that is appetizing to the yes. masses. Yeah, because you, you know, have to sell it's, ads. It's funny. I, I, I want to... Well, yeah, well, I didn't mean to cut you off. What yeah. were you going to say? You going to say something else. Oh, also, um, you know, this whole issue of ageism that women... Like, we're told that once we're 35, we're done. That no one will want us. No one wants yeah. to... Um, anytime, age is a material thing as well. Yeah, and it's just... It's, it's garbage. It's a bunch of garbage, right? So the fact that, like, my age was not even mentioned, it was nowhere to be seen in the case. It, it wasn't there. The fact that they made that, they pulled that out of nowhere wow. and made that an issue. And also, they never, the two guys that were fighting about the pink cover band were in their 50s. And that yeah. was that never wasn't mentioned. Even consideration. It was like 40 year old Colette McClafferty. Mm. Like, they're, they're. Meanwhile, there's these two 50 year old guys. You know, you know what yeah. it is? Very it's, into it's pink. The, I think part of it, I mean, what do, you, what, what do you think? I mean, I'll, I'll just present it this way. I think there's this unspoken or, but obvious uh, assumption uh, and maybe just perception. You know, but I think it's actually, no, it's neither a, re, a perception nor a, what was the other word I said? Uh, an assumption. It's neither a perception nor assumption. It's a reality that society loves to feast on the vulnerability of women. Yep. Yeah, it, it's the vulnerable aspect of women that people are attracted to, whether they're in stories mm-hmm. or, um, or in every day. Mm-hmm. And it's huh. part of what it, I think what attracts us to women is that soft, vulnerable side, whether it's the actual physical softness or this, the idea of being a submissive in society. Mm. But And I think at the, at the, on, the, on the other side of that, it's like, Men are 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 supposed to be dominant ones, and and so anytime there's like this against the grain where yeah. a woman is, wants to like grab some power of like no, I'm going to stand like up that. for myself and be dominant. Yeah, it's it's uh, you know it's scary and, and it doesn't feed into the um, mm-hmm. the party line of, of what is considered appetizing. In the same way, then in some ways like men aren't supposed to be submissive unless they're gay. You know, mm-hmm. or have aspects of like feminine things. So it's it's, it's interesting the struggle between men and women, um, and, and it really comes down to the, to the dominant and submissive forces and the romanticism of of what it is to be submissive in society. You know, um, you want to hear something kind of fascinating? Absolutely. I had men say, "Look, you just want this to go away." Sign that non-disclosure. Don't ever talk about this again. Pay your legal fees. Get it out of your life, right? Mm-hmm. And I had yeah. women said, raise hell. Yeah. 
you know, (laughs) like the women and, and I did have a lot of guy friends supporting me too, but like, and it was always older men (laughs) (laughs) just saying to me, honey, you just want, like I, I had a lawyer who offered to work on my case for free, but basically all he wanted to do was draft up the papers saying, oh yeah, we're done. I'll never talk about this again. I'm going to pay my $3,200. We're good. Um, I agree to your gag order. And then he said, look, first of all, you need to focus on singing because your window is closing. Like basically saying Uh, that because I'm getting old, I I won't be able to sing much longer. Um, He said, no one's going to talk about your case again. It's done. The media is done. No one's ever going to write about it. And then I told him that I was going to Albany to try to change legislation. He's like, don't, don't even bother. Just sign this. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then women were like, no, you need to get your story out there and you need to raise hell. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Why would someone tell you otherwise? It's interesting. Did you you find the difference between your younger male friends versus your older male friends? Culturally, were were the younger male friends more supportive than the older ones? I I wouldn't say younger in age, but younger in my more youthful friends. Because I do have youthful friends of all ages. More like the artists. Because there's a culture... A culture subscribed to like youth yes. you um, know, versus conservative old dudes. The ones <laughs> that told me to just sh- shut up and make it go away were powerful men. They, um, you know, they had great jobs. They had a lot of money. Uh, they oh. knew the legal system. Oh, yeah, and and it was like a couple guys said that to me. Like, huh. you just want like like don't don't fight this. Don't don't talk about it. I actually had to give up a part in a like a musical, a small musical movie, because they didn't want to be associated. They're Are like, you kidding? Yeah, they're like, do me a favor though. Like, if you're gonna do this movie, please don't talk about that lawsuit online. And I'm like, well, I can't do your movie then. Yeah. yeah. Why would you not wow. talk about yeah. it? This needs really? to be talked about. Yeah, it has to be. Because th- this shouldn't yeah. be going on. You know. Yeah. John experienced ageism real re- uh, recently. Really? Yeah. What happened? John, do you want to talk about your audition? Oh, me? Yeah. Oh. I did? Yeah. Oh. What <laughs> do you mean recently? <laughs> I thought you said Tom. I thought you were talking about No, no, about I wasn't talking about myself person. in the third person. Tom, Tom about- had. Tom has said. <laughs> 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 well, I don't, I, you know, I don't, you mean with the, so you think you can dance thing? Yeah. Oh. Well, I, I don't, I don't, I well, you know, it was ageism, but then it was also kind of like a compliment because like, they thought I was young. <laughs> so they looked at my ID and they're like, no, you're over 30. You know? Okay, <laughs> now that's screwed up because if you look the part, who cares how old you are? That's so messed up. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. you know, I, it might be for legal and medical. I don't, who, who knows? No, it's just yeah, them being ageist is all it is. Yeah. Um, I, I had a band that was going to hire me. They really wanted me. And then when they found out I was 38 at the time, they retracted their offer. So, like, wow. even though I looked the part, I wow. sounded the part, yeah. I, 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 hear you. I was the singer that they wanted once I was, they knew I was, and what was funny was that I was fired by another bass player who was a band leader who oh. was also 38. Wow. And yeah. but, a, but a dude? Yeah. And then they yeah. said, you know, the hotel that they, we work for, they're really picky about their girls, and there's like an age, I think their cutoff age was 35, and I'm like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, no, yeah, that's I, so common, it's, though. Yeah. So common. It I think is it's common. very common. And it's not okay. <laughs> it's common you know, it, it, it's, it's not it's, cool. It's funny. Not cool it, it's, it makes you, you know, uh, I mean, obviously, it kind of pushes you to create. Sure. When you, yeah. when, you know, so because I, 
I guess the whole idea of keeping up the good fight is about, well, okay, they see me this way. I'm going to create something that's going to blow their freaking minds. Yeah. And, you know, show, you know, you got to show them, right? Mm-hmm. But, and and I, I feel like at the end of the day, like I know I've, I've been conscious of this more, that what we create has to be more than just what we're railing against. It has to speak something more, more than just our, our deal. You sure. Know what I mean? Sure. Um, because because at the end of the day, people want to see that people are attracted to something that's not just self-serving. Mm-hmm. Although it's yeah, being, yeah, yeah. being selfish is important to a certain extent because mm-hmm. they want to know, well, what's in it for you? But if you present it in a way that they is you know that has like that thread of commonality, people people will jump on it. And, and I guess that's the challenge as you get older, or whatever 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 box you find yourself cornered into, I suppose. It's funny because what you just touched on um, is in my book a little bit. Uh, I had, I don't know if you remember, uh, if you know the band Living Color, but um, Musk Musk Gillings, who was the original bass player, he's like my mentor in the music industry. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about how this fight couldn't just be about me beating Chuck. It had to be for the greater good. Yeah, absolutely. And, And it is. Yeah. It is, it totally is. Because there's a lot of people getting dragged through cases that have no business existing in our system and they're scared to talk about it. Uh, and that was one thing he said, it can't, um, he didn't use the exact same words as you, but it was to the effect of, you know, if, if you're fighting in a selfish and self-serving way, it's going to make the thing, the whole journey a lot less meaningful. You have to fight just for the greater good of humanity. And you did. Thank you. <laughs> you totally did. I, I, Yay! I, it, it, it's good to <laughs> to know uh, this wasn't like a Don oh, Quixote situation. Yeah, you know? it was like this is a real thing. Yeah, that really happens to people. Yeah, that real yeah. people do to them. Uh huh. You know, this wasn't yeah. some random person either. It was someone in in your life that that you know. Totally. And it's funny. I told him like when I met Chuck for the first time. I was like, well, you know, you were a really big part of my life for two years. Yeah, yeah. the person becomes like, uh, you know, yeah. your nemesis becomes like sort of like this. Like, you have this relationship uh, with them that's like, okay. And an enabler this, almost. Yeah. Enabler, ex- yeah. Or, or amuse, I should say. Chuck made me who I am today. Amuse. Like, amuse. I, I would not be the person that I am today yeah. if this stranger. Much stronger, much more confident, much more. Yeah. And expanded. Like, I've, expanded. I felt like it expanded my world. Yeah. You know, I before I was I was a musician, I was just a musician. Lawsuit says self-development. Yes. Our, our, <laughs> neck, our, our, our series has begun. Yeah. yeah, it's Evolution. like I grew a whole other person, yeah. you yeah. know, like in my soul somehow. That's beautiful. It is, know? yeah. It's the, the glory of uh, of going through, uh, you know, some kind of crazy experience, you know. And pull, and that's that's the fourth that's the fourth step of trauma. Like the third step of trauma is the emotions and feeling the pain and letting yourself uh-huh. sit with the pain and just ex- accepting it. Yeah. And then when you break out of that. Then you, ha- it, it's kind of like you belong to this club of like people who have survivors. to survive. The survival club. <laughs> so we and and say the title again. For oh yes. Listeners. Oh yeah. It's called Confessions of a Bad Ugly Singer. When's um, this bad boy dropping? Uh so it drops on April sixteenth. 
Uh, it's available. You can pre-order it. Um, in the United States, it's available on barnesandnoble.com. Um, and I know it's on Amazon. In the UK, it's everywhere. Um, Do you yeah. have a website? Um, actually, well, page, I or? have a Quora page where okay. I write about a lot of stuff. So okay. you can look me up at Quora, uh, Colette McClafferty. I talk a lot about music industry stuff. Um, legal stuff from a civilian point of view, um, celebrity culture. That's that stuff. dope. Oh, and I want everybody to look up Michael Bolton. <laughs> Everybody's crazy. Yeah, look right. up. I'm no, and the Beavis and the guy that sued me was also in a Beavis and Butthead episode. So I want you to look up Michael Bolton. Everybody's crazy. Beavis and Butthead, and the guy playing drums. That's the guy that sued me. There's a whole chapter about it oh, in the book. Okay. Actually, there's two chapters about Michael That's Bolton awesome. in the wow. book. So, cool. Yeah. We got the Michael Bolton tie in. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Thank you, Colette. Uh, well, Colette, it was an honor to have you on Foxes and Hedgehogs. Thank you. And, and, uh, and what a story. <laughs> yeah, it's and, it's um, a crazy one. And, 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 and inspiring both inspiring and informative, would you say, Thomas? Oh, absolutely. Thank absolutely. you. We're so glad that you had the time to come and talk about your book and talk about this experience with us. Thank you so much. Foxes and hedgehogs, talking it out. Foxes and hedgehogs, <laughs> yes. what's it about? To my lamp lights over, happy new 